Hello and welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhaus and this is my podcast. So let's kick it off by addressing the elephant in the room. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why since I've been a little child, I've always wanted to be a zookeeper so that every once in a while, I could say, hey, can you meet me in the elephant cage? And it would be somebody who works for me. And I would say and look at him very seriously and say, hey, can we just talk about the elephant in the room? And it would be a legit elephant because I'd be at the zoo. But let's talk about the elephant in the zoo. We're at the nine days right now. And it's a very serious time for Jewish people. But at the same time, I feel that there is an elephant in the room. Not that we can eat the elephant because it is meat, and we try not to eat meat during the nine days. So what I want to say is, is that officially it's supposed to be a really sad time, but there are many from Yidin out there that I know them, Orthodox Jews, who are actually the happiest during the nine days. Why, you ask? It's very simple. Because at any given time, they are milchiks. So... They don't have to think like, oh my gosh, can I, can I eat this? Can I have a real milk with my coffee? Or can I order cheesecake right now in Uber Eats? They don't have any of that during the nine days. So it's almost like this is the happiest time that they have during the year. Which, by the way, I want to speak about something. So in previous conversations or previous podcasts, I've talked about uh, cannabis consumption. And uh, I feel like, you know, potentially I haven't, really spoken about that enough. I also, whenever possible, would like to talk about that from a halachic perspective from Jewish law. So the question is, you know, putting on my rabbinical hat, can somebody smoke cannabis during the nine days? And the answer is, provided that when you're smoking, you, A, are not trying on a new suit and listening to live music or recorded music. Otherwise, I think it should be totally okay to consume cannabis during the nine days, obviously not on Shabbos. Now, I want to talk about something, uh, address something about uh, the synagogue that I go to. And you may notice that in this particular podcast edition, there are going to be words like shul that I'm just going to say synagogue now because... Why should somebody who doesn't know what a shul is not appreciate what I'm saying? So in my synagogue, there are daily daily services every morning. There are 645, 7.45, 9.15. Every once in a while, I sneak in some illegal 8.35. Sometimes there are more. And I'm noticing that as each service gets progressively later during the day, I hate the congregants even more. So the earliest prayer service is at 6.45 in the morning. These are the, jet, these are the business people. They got things to do. They come in with their coffee. Some, some of them have a Starbucks. Some of them have a Dunkin' Donuts. And they're there. They do their thing, and they leave. My favorite people, they're not making eye contact. They're not looking at me. They're not engaging. They don't want to talk to me about what's going on. The second prayer service 7.45, people have a little more time in their hands. The parking lot gets to get a little crazy. People start talking business deals that's going on. 
The third one, though, at 9.15, the worst type of people, particularly when I am attending. Why? Because if anybody who's going to pray at 9.15 in the morning, either they have no job and they need to work, they just don't work because they don't really have the motivation. So they're, you know, I don't know what they're doing to get money, but they don't care. So that certainly annoys me at being with them at 9.15 because I care so much. The worst type of people are the people who are really wealthy. They don't even have to work. Their money is just coming in. They're just syndicating the same $10,000 in cash advance and just living off of that. And I have to see these people while I have to go run right away to my office and hustle. Which, by the way, I do want to say right now, answering a very famous question like, what is the big deal with a minion? Why are Jewish people required in the best of times, whenever possible, to pray with 10 people? And as you know, the law is that you need to have at least right minion, the majority of people praying with you, which is six people. What I think the answer is, after you know thinking about this very much, is that God says, listen, it is amazing and a huge accomplish- accomplishment if you can get six Jewish people on the same page. If six Jewish people are on the same page, literally in their book, it, this is a miracle, and God becomes very, very happy. And that's why potentially maybe Minion is only limited to, to Jewish religion because anybody else— If they're not Jewish, you could agree with each other, but the Jewish people, for whatever reason, there's different opinions, and there's Jewish people watching this right now saying, absolutely, this is not true. Because they're Jewish, they have to disagree with me. So six people at any given time, massive, massive miracle. Now, uh, you know, I felt bad because my sister, who is not recording today, uh, told me that she loved in the past when I used to mention self-help books during the podcast. So last week I had a self-help book and I mentioned some of it, but I didn't have it with me. So I read this week a self-help book that was so good. The piece of advice that I got from this book and the changes I've made to my life for the last couple of days have clearly been transformational. My life has changed. And I decided I want to share this with my audience because there are some people that could really use this guidance that I got that I use to change my life. Unfortunately, like last week, uh, I forgot to bring the book with me. And so basically, I'm sorry again for that happening, but just know that, again, the advice that I read in this week's self-help book, which I read a lot of self-help books, is better than anything that I had. I've introduced it into my life. It's really changed everything. And I'm really sorry for you that I forgot my book that you will not be privy to whatever help that I'm getting and all the changes that I've implemented, which kind of reminds me of the fact that this is time at this point in my life, I think I am ready to hire a life coach because one, I saw an ad in somebody else's Instagram feed about a life coach, which makes me very interested in getting a life coach. The second thing is what I noticed whenever I see something about a life coach, the life coach, what they're doing is they're not actually coaching people's lives, but what they're doing is they are giving seminars and paid courses on how you too 
could become a life coach. So it seems what a life coach really does is they become a life coach. They announce on Instagram that they are now a life coach. And then they start teaching classes to other people how to become a life coach, even though they've never coached anybody's lives. They just are a life coach. So now they're going to share that that special educational knowledge of being a life coach. Now, the reason why I want to hire a life coach, obviously I saw it, like I mentioned, it's, it, it was an ad served to me or somebody else's feed. But the thing is, is like, I was thinking about getting a coach for running because I want to run a marathon. That's one coach. Then I want to get a nutritional coach because I think I need help with nutrition. I didn't eat breakfast today. I just had two coffees. Then my marriage you know, it's something that I need to work on. And people say, oh, you make jokes about your wife and your podcast. Does she mind? And what I always say is when I make jokes of my wife, she has a, a deal with me that she, if I ever do make money from anything comedy related, she takes 80% of whatever I earn, which is pretty much what happens today, non-comedy. And so the joke is on me. So I'm making jokes of her, but then she gets to spend whatever income comes in from that comedy. So it's a partnership. So I want to get a marriage coach. But the thing is, I was thinking, why should I get all these different coaches when I can just get one life coach? Because the life coach will just coach me about life. So what I have a friend who hired a life coach. What they do is they just move into your house. And as you're getting out of bed in the morning, they say, hey, no, no, that's not the right way to do it. What you want to do is you want to put down one leg gingerly onto the floor and take the other foot off and then you want to put sprinkle some water on your face because, again, they're a life coach and they stay with you until you go to bed. And they actually stay there. A life coach will actually stay there for a 24-hour period and watch you sleep too because that is also a part of your life and they are a life coach. They're not like, hey, a coach for 16 hours a day. You have to be in a situation that every single area on your life needs improvement because, again, you need a life coach. So that's why I am very much looking into uh, becoming – a life coach and getting coached by somebody else who is a life coach who was trained by another life coach because they saw an Instagram ad that they could also take courses on being a life coach. And by the way, congratulations to everybody that I know in my circle who have become life coaches. One of the biggest uh, mysteries of the world that uh, I've been just thinking about and getting frustrated about, and I decided to share my frustration with you, is... When you delete a message in WhatsApp, particularly, let's say, on a group chat, which I'm really not part of any, let me just put that out there, is there's a big disclaimer. A message has been deleted. Now, the mystery is, isn't the whole point of deleting a message so you can delete it? Why does there have to be a big sign that says, somebody was an idiot they said something or they typed something that they were not supposed to. The message is deleted. You're never going to know about it. That's calling more attention. It's like if you sweep the floor, you don't leave a little post-it note that says, there was a bunch of things here, but we swept it away. You don't do that. So my question is, when you delete something in a chat, why don't they just delete it? And it's just not there without giving a notice. I think uh, possibly the reason is because it would be very much open to manipulation because if you could just delete things whenever you want, people will be like, I can't believe you said that. And then you'd be like, what do you mean? I didn't say it. Look, it's not there anymore. And they were like, did you delete it? Well, there's nothing there. It doesn't show anything was deleted. So I think that 
potentially is the reason. Now, let's talk about uh, a, a raging debate that's going on in mikvahs across the across the country. Uh, men's mikvahs, that, that is, because I have no idea what's going on, uh, what, what debates are going on by the women's mikvah, and even by men's mikvahs, I disclaimer, I don't go on a regular basis. I used to, so these are some of the older debates, and also I hear from other people. When you block somebody on your phone, which again, I've stated and advocated many times, it's definitely the best feature on a phone. Do you want to call the person that you're about to block and say, hey, listen, I've had it up to here with you. You do no, you no longer have the right or the opportunity to contact me whenever you want. I am going to block you. Or do you just do a silent block, which is they don't even deserve to be engaged with. You are just going to block them. So there, there are different schools of thought, and I, I, it's possible that it really depends on the situation. While we are discussing about uh, WhatsApp, I do want to uh, share why I have such disdain and dislike for Facebook or Meta. Obviously, you know, I'm envious of their CEO and all the money that he has and all the success that he has, and I, you know, in a million lifetimes will never reach that. So that's that's one that's one consideration. But now we'll talk about the actual product and the business ethics. Here's what drives me crazy. One of the many things, but here's an example. So Facebook is there. Every company or every organization could now invite people to like your page. And this is how you build a community. So like everybody in your ads, on your website, you're always saying, you know, follow us, facebook.com forward slash my organization. And so you build this nice following. And then one day, you start realizing that as you're posting stuff, you're really not having a whole lot of people of your community seeing what you're posting. And that is because Facebook's algorithm determines who from your community gets to see your post, your announcement. So what Facebook says is, listen, you want to promote stuff to your community? Here's what we got to do. Boost your posts. Pay us a little money, and then we're going to let you talk to the community that you curated and have been collecting online and pushing people there in all your ads for the last couple of years. You want to say something to them? It's pay to play. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, what just happened? I just spent so much time and years and energy building this thing up, and now Facebook says, hey, we made a change to our algorithm. You want to speak to your users? Show us the money. To me, that seems really unethical because you got people to like your page and join your community under the assumption and under the, under the premise that you'd be able to engage and communicate with them like you did at the outset. So what they did is they get everybody's users, get all the data, let you do the hard work, and then they say, hey, you want to message these people, pay us money to do so. That's just one example which drives me crazy. And they're not alone uh, in, in, uh, from the big um, oligarchies of uh, the tech industry, but that's an example of meta. One thing that I cannot go on a podcast episode without mentioning is uh, please, please be aware, uh, service announcement, that some Jewish camps, they are no longer offering you the option to tip your child's counselor, learning teacher, 
waiter. Why? Because they basically say, listen, rather than you having to send a tip, we're going to charge you 18% service fee of whatever the tuition you paid for camp this summer. We're going to do it as a tip because, again, it's a service fee. It's automatically 18%. And so uh, we just got some large bills for tipping counselors. I would highly suggest that you make sure that the camp is not doing that for you as well. It's so convenient to have your credit card. It goes instantly into the, into the counselor's thing. But for you, it may be a lot of money, especially considering how much camp costs already with the travel, and then you got to pay a minimum of 18%. I want to do a movie review now on Mission Impossible, the latest Tom Cruise movie that I got to see with my wife, obviously, on discount movie day, which is a Tuesday. So, first of all, the movie is like two hours and 45 minutes. So, the real Mission Impossible is to be able to sit through that movie, not check your phone, and potentially to avoid going to the bathroom. Uh, that would be a mission, sorry, a mission impossible for anybody seeing it. When I was there, I saw somebody that was very health conscious because they were wearing a mask, but yet they were holding a bucket of popcorn, which was the size of a mini pool, of, of a kiddie pool, sorry. And I was thinking to myself, hey, that's a lot of popcorn for one person to eat. And also, how are you going to eat it with that mask on? And also, if you were that concerned about your health, maybe that is a lot of butter and corn to consume in, uh, not just corn, popped corn in, you know, two and a half hour movie. So what I want to say that impressed me most about this movie, it's like, oh, Tom Cruise does all his stunts. That's not really what impressed me so much. What impressed me is that Tom Cruise in all his movies, he's always running. But if you notice, he is a jacket runner. He never takes his jacket off, which is amazing because he either looks like Hot Sulla member running during davening to the back of the shul. Something's going on. Another thing is he could look like a Bahram if Saim was trying to catch a Karkafta running down the street and he's chasing after him. It's an amazing thing. But a lot of people can run fast speeds with their arms pumping. But to keep your jacket on and not break a sweat any of that time, that is a truly an amazing thing which only, I believe, Tom Cruise is able to do. The movie is all about artificial intelligence, and when you watch it, it becomes clearer and clearer during every minute that the movie was actually written by computers, and the people that are in the movie are really not even acting. It's just computer imaging, and potentially this is not even me doing this podcast. This is an AI version of myself, hopefully doing a better job than I do on a regular basis. Now that we talked about uh, Tom Cruise uh, doing Hatzala run with his jacket on, it will be an apropos time for me to do a brief review of Jack Ryan, a series that is streaming on Amazon Prime Video, which, by the way, this is a question that I want to ask my family every day in the morning multiple times, but to preserve my family unit, and to preserve my marriage, I don't. And the question goes like this. If we are paying Netflix for all the streaming we can do, why do we keep buying additional things to stream from Amazon Prime Video? But I digress. Let's move on to the next conversation. We're talking about Jack Ryan. So here's what I notice about Jack Ryan. He always has 
I think it's 12 o'clock shadow. I'm not sure what it's called. Six o'clock shadow. There's some sort of shadow on his face that he didn't quite get the closest shave. And it looks like it's deliberate because he's a very soft person. So it looks like he has kind of an edge. The other thing to know about him is that he's always sipping coffee no matter what time it is. And, and this is the most important thing about Jack Ryan. He is always, no matter what, looking to uphold the integrity of the CIA together with his coffee and the little amount of facial hair that he has because he has such soft, soft skin. Now, we are going to make a shameful uh, confession here, and that is that your host, Shmuel Tenenhaus, the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast, uh, succumbed to taking his wife to a higher-end restaurant. I don't want to say high-end, but I did get snookered in to taking my wife to a nice nice restaurant. And people are thinking, oh, you traitor, and there are some people who just turned this off right now. They'll never listen to this again because they say, hey, listen, I thought you had values. Uh, you don't do anything that is, you know, upper class and you don't indulge. Anyways, basically that's what happens. But what I want to tell you is that I do have some best practices that if you are taking your spouse out for a nice restaurant, here are the things that you can do to A, protect yourself, and two, really, 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 you know, raise the bar, should we say, and potentially uh, make a great impression on your wife because when you do take her out, it's important to be present and uh, do the right thing. Okay, the first thing what you want to do is when you are sitting with your wife in the fancy restaurant, you want to look through that men menu and you really want to complain about the pricing, like about everything that's there. Like, oh, wow, sparkling water, $9 a bottle. That's so expensive. We certainly can't afford something like that. Let's get something from the tap. And you want to make comments like that. I, I, think, I think what it shows to your wife is he's present, he's engaging, He's, he's really right here with me, okay? The next thing what you want to do is prior to going to the restaurant, you want to stuff your face privately. So you want to go home. You want to start eating, you know, handfuls of flour, granola, anything that you could stuff into your system. What that does is you can tell your spouse when you're at the restaurant, hey, I think it's just going to be you ordering because, you know, I went home and really stuffed my face. What that shows... Her, your wife is that, number one, if there's a limited amount of money that you guys have left on whatever credit card, uh, you are putting her first because you stuffed your face. The second thing, uh, what you want to show is that you're actually preparing. You gave some thought. You're not just going out to eat, but you made arrangements, and that is you stuffed yourself so you don't have to order something so you can keep the bill at a minimum. Next, because you're not ordering... And maybe if you order, it's going to be something very small that you're complaining about. Your wife is going to order. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that as you start getting hungry, you continue picking food off your wife's plate. You also don't want to ask her because if you ask her, somebody can choke, you're eating, it's a hazard. Uh, what this shows is you, what you're telling your wife is when you're doing that is 
I want to be here with you in this restaurant, and I want to share our lives together, and I want to share everything, including the food that you ordered because I was too cheap or stuffed to order for myself. The next thing, and also she wants you, because you didn't order anything, she wants, she doesn't want to be eating by herself. So as a mensch, you want to be chipping away at whatever she has. The next thing you want to do is, or the last thing you want to do is, when the receipt comes and the final tab comes, you want to take out your calculator. And I would not do a phone calculator because a phone does have a calculator, but again, your wife is going to think that you're texting a friend or something else, checking up some scores. You want to take out a legitimate, solar-powered, good old-fashioned calculator, one of the big ones. And what you want to do is you want to be conscious and add up the different items on the bill to make sure that the itemized amount matches the bill. And what that does is it shows your wife, I'm present, I'm focused, and I care about our family in a financial and responsible way. And you want to tell the waiter or the server, hey, listen, I tallied everything up. It matches. Now here's my credit card. Please go charge it. So now that I gave some advice for the men taking your wife out, I want to give some advice to the women. And this is more about how to relate to your husband and this is particularly around criticism. So as we know, husbands require criticism, a healthy dose on a regular basis because otherwise we might just start living our lives imagining there's nothing wrong with us. And there's nothing scarier to a wife thinking that, oh my gosh, my husband now thinks he's a completely normal person without any issues. No, I really have to get in there and remind him that there's so much that he's got to fix. So my suggestion, and this is, works very well in my household, and which is why I'm sharing this gem with you, is men, a lot of us, are very business-oriented. It's kind of we're thinking about, you know, you know doing deals and, and making money and work and goals. So if you're ever criticizing us about a particular pro, about a particular matter, what I am suggesting is use comps. So comps is when you do real estate, you want to buy or sell a house, they'll tell you, okay, what, what is similar that you can point to and then come up with a price? So if you're criticizing your spouse and saying, hey, I wish, you know, you would call me more often or you would pay attention, please, if possible, use a comp so you say, okay, I want you to be more responsive when I call you and also have more respect for me and my parents and say, like so-and-so, who also live in a four-bedroom, two-bathroom home, and he, I always notice him, He's always being very, very nice to his wife. I want you to be the same way. Or somebody can say, hey, you dress like a clown. We need you to dress better. Here's a list of some guys in our community and in different communities who are similar, went to the same schools that you did, 
and they're approximately your height, slightly in better shape than you, and they dress nicely. So why can't you dress nicely? Just go walk over to them and ask them. What this does for men is it says they're not just being critical. They want to help. This is constructive feedback. This is something I could actually follow up with. Go to the guy and say, hey, listen, my wife was saying I need to be more like you. Where are you buying all your stuff? Send me some links and let me learn from you. I want to talk for a moment now about wearing a backpack. So it's just my belief that when you wear a backpack and you're not in school, you have no right to wear it over both shoulders. I actually have a backpack here and I will demonstrate because my wife sometimes will say, so I will wear my backpack like this because I'm a cool guy. But my wife will be like sometimes, hey, there, that's a heavy backpack. Why don't you wear it over both shoulders? The problem is, is that now I'm officially announcing by way of backpack that I am in school or in university and I am in neither. I'm just a regular person who wants to use a backpack but also wants to convey, hey, I'm done with school and so I'm very cool and this is just over one shoulder. Now, a story that took place in my synagogue earlier this week that I should have said earlier before when I was talking about all the synagogue stuff, but I went on a tangent other topics, so let's talk about this. So I was in Shul, and a guy came over to me, and he said he gave me a warm welcome. He said, hello, how are you doing? Then I noticed that this fellow says he's done with me, and he walks over to another guy and says, hey, how are you doing? I'm coming to say hello because I can't just say hello to the first guy because that would offend you. So I'm saying hello to you too. Now, I saw this happening and I overheard this conversation. And now what I'm thinking in my head is, great. In an effort not to offend the other guy, you just offended me. I thought I was more special than the other guy because you came and said hello to me and not to the other guy. But now it looks like You just got guilted into saying hello to the other guy as well. And now basically, there's nothing special about me. You're literally going to every single person and saying, hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? All these amazing things that are happening. And I'm not no more special. Please, in show, if you're going to come say hi to me, just say hi to me. Don't say hi to anybody else. If you want to say hi to somebody else, make sure... I'm no longer visible, I'm no longer around, so I don't have to see that you're interested in other people as well because I want to be the only person that you're interested in. Okay. Quick uh, two-second update on the sweatpants situation. So I may have mentioned before that years ago, my wife bought me a couple pairs of sweatpants so that I could wear when I run. Needless to say, years have gone by, and those are the only pairs of pants that I actively wear. There were three pairs. There's a black pair, there's a dark navy blue pair, and there is a lighter blue pair. Not like light sky blue, but it's lighter blue than the dark blue. I wear those every day because I want to always be in gym clothing. I never have an excuse not to go to the gym. Except if I'm not feeling well, if I'm not in a good mood, or... 
I just don't want to drive. I don't have a car. Or you know, there's just a lot, of, a lot of different excuses. So I want to say that one of those has a massive opening in a private area. So that pair of sweatpants is done with. I can only wear it now in the house when no guests are there to bed under my blanket. So I have two pairs of sweatpants left, and that's what we have going on. One is starting to tear by the seams, but we are being very careful wearing it. The other day, we had guests for Shabbos, and it was raining outside. I actually had to lend my one good pair of sweatpants, which I'm left with as my only good, good pair, and a guest borrowed it. And it did feel very strange to lend my only pair of pants, which is sweatpants, to somebody, but then thankfully he returned it when Shabbos is done. And now, at this final juncture of this podcast, I want to tell you why I plan to write in Hunter Biden as my candidate for the upcoming presidential elections. The reason why I want to vote for Hunter Biden is because, number one, I like to do comedy. I like to express myself. Hunter, as you know, is an artist, so I feel that I can relate to him. The most important thing, I think, in terms of national security is you're always nervous that some foreign government or somebody domestically will get a hold of some damning information and will be able to blackmail our, mas- our president. The thing with Hunter is you can't blackmail him anymore. What can you show that can blackmail him? We know everything that he did, every bad thing that he did. So what are you going to say? He did drugs? We know he did drugs. He has a child out of wedlock. We know, we know all these things. So my point is I think he should be a nominee because he's literally bulletproof. There's nothing at this point that can come out that's more damaging that already came out. So in my opinion, this is an ironclad president. It actually says in the Talmud that uh, anybody in a level of leadership has – skeletons, kupas shel shratzim, and it's, it's about keeping them humble. So people in uh, leadership positions have skeletons so that they remain humble in the public eye. The other thing about Hunter is that uh, he's definitely very good at foreign policy. We know that he is, he, he knows, uh, you know, the Ukrainians, he knows uh, the Chinese, and these are just people that he knows with and he's actually dealt with financially. It's not just, hey, hey, we know you from work. There's been wires going back and forth. And so he's deeply entrenched with foreign economies. And so I think potentially that could help us and our economy. Thank you, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your Milchik nine days and we will catch you soon.